Welcome to Leading Views. Today's guest is Jane Burson, Executive Director of the Clean Air Fund and European Young Leader. Welcome, Jane. <laughs> um, Hi there. So air pollution is something I find a lot of people associate uh, primarily with the developing world, but um, my understanding is that it is a much more prevalent issue across the board and, and a pretty serious one at that. Um, can you talk a little bit about air pollution sort of worldwide um, and, and where it's worse? Yes, absolutely. Um, so air pollution, you're right, is a really huge issue globally. Um, the World Health Organization say that outdoor air pollution kills 4.2 million people a year around the world. And it actually affects everyone. Um, almost 100% of cities breach safe guideline limits set by the WHO. Um, so if you live in a city, you're almost certainly breathing air that's dangerous to your health. And the health effects range across the sorts of things that you might expect. So respiratory problems like um, asthma and uh, lung issues like lung cancer, but all the way through to things that people don't often associate with air pollution, like heart disease. And uh, very recent research has started linking air pollution to things like obesity and dementia. So then here's my question. I, I find that a lot of the, the discussion around air pollution and, and climate change could kind of be related because the things that cause air pollution are also things that cause climate change. Can you talk a little bit about sort of what what are the causes of air pollution and are they that closely linked? Yeah, absolutely. They're, they're, you're right. They're incredibly closely linked. About two thirds of air pollution globally comes from the burning of fossil fuels, which is the exact thing that produces the greenhouse gases that are causing climate change. Um, and so all of the sources that are burning those fossil fuels, whether it's power uh, for electricity or um, our transport systems or heavy industry, uh, all both link to the causes of climate change and uh, the causes of air pollution. So it's a great opportunity in a way for win-wins because you can get, by, by fixing those sources and transitioning away from fossil energy, you can get wins for both health and climate. But it's it's also not as simple as that. My, my understanding is also that there are people that are disproportionately affected within cities, regardless of whether we're talking about the developing or the developed world. Does that have to do with an inequality issue? Does it have to do with where they're located in the city? Um, can you sort of expand a little bit on why certain people are affected more than others? Yes. Um, so cities are generally the places where the air pollution is worse, although industrial zones tend to have quite high air pollution as well. And although everybody is affected, it is vulnerable groups and low-income families that are most affected. So wherever you are in the world, it's lower-income families that are more likely to be living either on the side of a busy road or directly next to an industrial facility because they can't afford to move away. And another group that's really heavily affected is um, babies and children. Part of the reason is because they're small, so they're very close to the ground, which is often near the sources, especially of exhaust fumes from traffic, um, but also because they breathe much more per kilo of body weight. A kind of 10 to 12-year-old will breathe about twice as fast as an adult, and babies breathe four times as fast. So, you know, if you think if you, if you speed up your breathing, 
breathing by four times how much air you're taking on and then think about how small the baby is that is a huge amount of pollution that's going into their system every day so as a consequence there are actually even children who the who is relating their deaths to air pollution and the health effects for children stay with them for the whole of their lives so it can cause a huge amount of suffering when you hear numbers like that and and it's it's a little bit uh, disturbing. Um, what what are countries in Europe doing about this to address it, particularly in, in children? So the EU um, sets limits for ambient air, which is like the outdoor air that we're breathing. Um, the limits that they set are some of the lowest in the world, but they're still two and a half times higher than what the World Health Organization says is safe. So those limits are set and... Um, there is some attempt to enforce them in um, in cities and with national governments. And then they also set standards for specific sources of pollution. So chimneys, for example, industrial facilities um, and how much they're allowed to emit. Do you know why the numbers are so are not in proportion with what the WHO is recommending? Meeting meeting WHO guidelines it wouldn't be easy. I think it's something that all cities and national governments ought to aim for. Um, And very recently, we've had a number of mayors suggesting that they might set themselves the target of meeting WHO guidelines. But there is a lot of um, public opposition to the sorts of policies that you might implement in order to get, in order to meet those clean air standards, because in many cities it would require a much greater use of public transport, a much greater amount of walking and cycling instead of driving, um, a transition to electric vehicles, and lots of that requires behaviour change, which is um, which is often difficult to persuade people of. There's also behaviour change um, required for some of the other sources of air pollution. Um, One of the big ones in Europe is solid fuel burning in people's homes. In Western Europe, solid fuel burning stoves and wood wood burning stoves have become much more popular recently. And in East and Southeast Europe, those sorts of stoves have always been the main way that people heat their homes. So to to ask people to change the way that they heat their homes and that they buy and use fuel is uh, is often quite a big ask that it takes a bit of persuasion um, and and kind of innovative policy making to achieve. So if, if it's an educational issue, I, I find that, you know, recently you're seeing all these massive uh, movements. You've got Greta talking about climate change and Extinction Rebellion and all of that. Do you feel like the air pollution discussion um, might be lost in the greater discussion of climate change or if any sort of activity to raise awareness and educate consumers um, helps. Because I do have to say personally, I find I hear a lot more about sort of the climate emergency as a whole, but these numbers and this information about air pollution and how it affects children um, in all of these sort of cities around Europe is kind of new information to me. Um, So what do you think we can do to, well, first, is the climate change discussion sort of mm, overlapping or overtaking the air pollution one? And what can we do to sort of draw awareness specifically to air pollution? The sources of air pollution and climate change are often the same. Um, It's things like transportation, the power sector, heavy industry, 
Um, all of those sectors that involve burning fossil fuels produce both air pollution, which is harmful to our health, and greenhouse gases, which are the drivers of climate change. So we have a huge opportunity in tackling the transition away from fossil fuels um, to get the win-wins for both health and for climate. I think that in some places we're hearing about air pollution a lot more than in others. And in some places in Europe, the air pollution is actually visible. Um, for example, Greenpeace recently published some data saying that Sofia in Bulgaria was the most polluted city in Europe. And if you visit Sofia, you, in, especially in the winter, you'll notice that you can see the, um, the smog hanging in the air from all of the um, coal and wood-burning stoves and other sources of pollution in and around the city. So people know that it's there because they can see it. I think what's needed in terms of awareness raising is the effect that it's having on people's health, especially because they're burning these fuels inside their homes, and um, what they can do about it. I think it's not fair to suggest that it's only individuals that can do something, that you know, we, we all need to immediately switch our vehicles to electric vehicles or stop using them altogether um, or you know, transition away from the way that we heat our homes immediately and at our own cost. But certainly people need to be made aware so that they can advocate with um, politicians about what they want um, and have a, have a sensible conversation about what policies are appropriate. Do you think on the um, on the medical side of things that as doctors start linking more and more um, illnesses directly with air pollution, that that would help? Yes, I think that's one area where more development is required, actually. There's been a case in um, London of a little girl that very tragically died from a severe asthma attack back in 2013. And um, her mum has been campaigning a lot over the last few years for greater awareness of air pollution and the effects that it has um, and more ambition in the policies to tackle it. One of the things that um, her mum has said is that in the many, many times that this little girl was taken to hospital over the last few years of her life, none of the doctors ever linked her asthma attacks to air pollution. And yet uh, her and her family lived and went to, um, her and her brother and sister went to school very close to one of the busiest roads in London. So they were exposed to this pollution constantly. Um, and nobody ever suggested that it might, that the asthma attacks might be linked to air pollution. So there clearly is a need for um, potentially even awareness raising with doctors and, um, enabling them to ask patients where they live, whether they might be exposed disproportionately to air pollution so that they can help manage it and maybe try and avoid those sources of pollution in their daily lives. Well, the, the EU this year um, had their elections. So we're looking at an, a whole new class of members of parliament, a whole new class of commissioners that are going to be um, coming on board for the next five-year mandate. If, if you could sort of let them know um, an easy guide, quote unquote, um, to tackling air pollution in Europe, uh, what would it be? Um, I think the first step needs to be enforcement of the existing policies. I am living in London and until recently it was one of the most high profile cases of a city continuously breaking 
EU rules on air pollution, um, with very little actually being done. And it's taken um, a mayor who has air pollution as one of his top four priorities to really start to tackle the issue and see air pollution drop. So I think if there was more enforcement, um, both for cities and with national governments, there might be a lot more action more quickly. Um, and I think that the um, the Commission could do more to help share information around um, the sorts of policies that might work. There are things like clean air zones that some cities are implementing, either with specific charges or bans on different types of transport um, or solid fuel burning, and having a means of sharing information about how different schemes work in different places, I think, would be really helpful. And then finally, I think um, for, for other stakeholders, there is a huge opportunity here for businesses to step in and show leadership. One of the things that's really surprised me working on this issue is how few businesses are really taking on this issue and um, being innovative and positive about how they might be able to tackle it. I think everybody associates businesses and air pollution with Dieselgate and the huge scandal of all of the car manufacturers or the majority of the car manufacturers uh, cheating the emissions tests. And it would be nice and very worthwhile if businesses decided to jump in at the more positive end and um, start to do things that really supported a reduction in air pollution. What's interesting in this answer is that um, you mentioned you mentioned the role of mayors. Um, it seems like this might be an issue where a local approach might potentially be more effective, so long as you have an EU that's setting um, regulations that, that shouldn't be you know, that should be followed. Do you feel like this is something that a local approach, mayors, um, cities getting together and talking about best best practices could actually be more effective, both on the sort of direct, um, direct effectiveness in a city, but also on raising awareness with their local populations? Yes, absolutely. I think there's a huge role for cities. And, and that's where we're seeing the leadership at the moment is with city, individual city mayors. Mm. Um, it's one of the things that, as the Clean Air Fund, we have um, funded is an international air quality network for mayors through the C40 Cities platform mm. in order to exactly do what you say, share best practice and enable mayors to support one another to come up with innovative policies to reduce pollution and protect their citizens. I think it works um, on a local level for um, supporting individuals to see why policies are being implemented as well. So, for example, if you can understand that uh, tens of thousands of children in your city wouldn't be suffering severe asthma attacks because uh, the pollution had reduced, then you might be a lot more supportive of a policy to reduce parking for internal combustion engine vehicles in the city centre, as you might be otherwise. Right. Local mayors, uh, local authorities and, and mayors don't always have the powers that they need, though, to tackle all of the, the sources of air pollution in their city. I think um, on energy policy in particular, it most often sits at a national level. And... Um, energy for power 
and it, domestically to heat people's homes can be one of the main sources of air pollution. And I think also sometimes with transport, mayors don't necessarily have the powers. Sometimes taxi licensing is done at a national level. And so mayors then might struggle to enforce particular rules that they want to around the um, the efficiency or low carbon nature of the taxis coming into their city. And as a whole, um, in Europe, is air pollution getting worse or better? in the last, say, five years? That's a very good question. <laughs> I'm trying to decide if I should feel positive or negative here at the end of this conversation. Yeah. <laughs> it, it, uh, it depends on the place. There are some places where it is gradually getting better. Um, I think it's still very bad uh, in places that have a heavy use, particularly of coal, for energy. Mm-hmm. Um and there are hot spots in very busy cities where the congestion and the large number of diesel vehicles means that the air pollution is high. So it depends where you are. The trajectory in much of Western Europe is a gradual improvement, but it's nowhere near fast enough. Um, so, Jane, can you tell a little bit, um, tell us a little bit about what um, your organization is doing to tackle this issue? The Clean Air Fund is a new philanthropic initiative which will be giving grants for the reduction of air pollution to organisations around the world. Um, In Europe, we're focused initially on a handful of countries in East and Southeast Europe and in the UK, where we're based. Um, But we will be expanding that over time. And our goal is to support citizens and uh, ambitious policymakers and researchers to implement the policies that are required to clean our air. And do you do most of your work in Europe or do you do how much work sort of how how do you divide your work between Europe and and the rest of the world? So um, we're just setting up at the moment and we've decided to focus in on just a few countries to make sure that we have the biggest impact possible. Um, The countries that we're going to be focusing on initially are um, in Europe, the UK, Poland and Bulgaria and um, the next uh, region that we'll be looking at will be around uh, India. We're highly likely to expand to more countries, especially as the number of donations from philanthropic organizations increases. Um, But those are the countries that we're starting with. Who uh, receives the grants? Is it um, sort of uh, startups? Is it tech companies? Is it sort of citizen initiatives how do you um what, what what's your criteria for giving these grants out and um, so the grants can go to any not-for-profit organizations that want to work on um tackling air pollution um in their area um, the sorts of things that we're likely to be funding are um work with doctors for example who want to make clear the effect of air pollution on their patients, Um, researchers who have interesting ideas for new technologies that might help to tackle the issue, civil society groups that want to advocate for ambitious policies um, at a local or a national level, and even sometimes individuals who are taking a leadership role on the topic. And we're also very keen to support global networking because there are some fantastic ideas already being implemented around the world and we want to be able to help those ideas reach scale quickly. That's great. All right, well, thank you. 
Thank you for listening to Friends of Europe's Leading Views podcast. Tell us what you think. We'd love to hear from you. Leave a comment, a like, or a rating for us. Have a lovely day. Thank you.